Well, it is great to be with you. Uh, I haven't been with you for a couple weeks, and uh, I was kind of starving for some Clearwater Church, and so this is filling me up. Have you ever wondered to yourself, am I really saved? Am I a true Christian? Has the grace of God in Jesus Christ truly intersected my life? Well, if you've ever wondered that, and you're going to be pleased with tonight's message because Isaiah helps us answer that question by giving us four things that all truly saved people share, have in common. And so you can listen to these things and and if your heart says, yeah, that's true of me, you can have tremendous confidence that you, in fact, are a child of God, saved from your sins, destined to heaven. Now, if you are listening and you say, no, nah, that's not true of me and never has been true of me, well, hey, now you know your next step. You need to get saved. And if you listen and say, you know, I think that was true about me, but it's really not true of me anymore, that means... Well, that means that you've allowed the cares of the world to bury the things of God in your life. And so you need some soul excavation. And you need to pull out again uh, God as the priority and the focus of your life. And so no matter where you are spiritually, uh, Isaiah has something very important to say to you. And God has something he wants to do very special in your life. So we're studying the book of Isaiah. Isaiah was a prophet who lived about 700 years before the time of Christ. God sent Isaiah to his people, Israel, with a message of coming judgment. Israel, you have failed to live up to your side of the covenant. And you have not heeded my repeated warnings and you and my discipline. You have been Stiff-necked. And, and, and so now the big one's coming. God sends Isaiah to tell his people, you will be forcibly removed from the promised land. You're going to be hauled off into exile. But we've titled this series, A Message of Hope. Because even in the prophecy of the forecoming exile, God through Isaiah paints a more hopeful picture, a bigger overarching picture of a future that is good. There will be a return from the exile. There will be a heart change. The rebellious people of God, the covenant breakers will become covenant keepers. Their hearts of stone will be replaced with a heart of flesh and the spirit of God will indwell his people. There's never been a perfect king, but there will be that messianic king who will reign in righteousness and justice, and the people of God will be blessed and secure. And so, it's a message of hope. Yes, there's coming judgment. It's going to be bad. It's going to be the exile, but God's going to use the exile to purify his people. And there's actually the best days for God's people still lie ahead. Truly is a message of hope. As a pastor, one of my favorite things is to hear people's stories about how they put their faith in Jesus. 
I love it. I never get tired of hearing how God is drawing people to himself. Praise God. He's amazing. And and the, the ways people come to Christ are about as varied as there are people. I've heard the Mike, I grew up in the church, and I, I never doubted. From as long as I can remember, I have trusted Jesus as my Lord and my Savior, and I've tried to obey his teachings. Not perfectly, but that's been the orientation of my life. I've heard people say, well, for me, I grew up in the church, but I turned my back on my spiritual heritage, and I just went headlong into sin, and, and I walked uh, I just didn't want anything to do with Jesus. But then, like the prodigal, I came to my senses and I found myself eating with the pigs and I came back to the Lord and in his mercy, he restored me and I followed Jesus. I've heard the stories of I was not pursuing God at all and then Jesus appeared to me in a dream and said, come follow me. And I did. I've heard the mic. I became a Christian because I watched God deliver my mom from a demon. And I could not deny his reality and his power. Or the story of I was, uh, I was sick and I, I had, the doctors couldn't help me and I had nowhere to turn. I, finally, I went to a, a Christian pastor. He prayed for me. God miraculously healed me and I gave my life to Jesus. Or the person who says, for me it was, I just was studying, trying to decide do the claims of Christianity have validity? And I became convinced that the preponderance of evidence is on the, on the side of Jesus. And so I became his follower. Many, many, many different paths to faith in Jesus Christ. But here's the thing. Once you put your faith in Jesus Christ, there will be some things that are true of you that are true of all Christians. You, there are some th- things that you will share in common with all who have been saved. And that is what Isaiah is talking about today in our text. So if you, if you have your Bibles, please turn in your Bibles to Isaiah chapter 12. It's just a short chapter, six verses, but boy, is it beautiful. Isaiah chapter 12, verse 1. You will say in that day. So Isaiah is looking down the corridor of time. He's envisioning a day when the people of God will be saved. And in that day when God's salvation comes, Isaiah says, here's what you're going to say. Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. In other words, he's saying, Here's what's going to go on in your heart when you experience God's salvation and it's going to come out out of your mouth. Four things. And these four things are true of all Christians at all times. Because make no mistake, if you are a Christian, you have been saved. You have experienced that day. Now, I believe that the Spirit had three horizons in mind. Uh, The first day was the day in which the people of God returned from exile back to the promised land, and that happened around 500 years before the time of Christ. Then the second horizon, or the second day, was the birth of Jesus, the Messiah, the King, who reigns in righteousness and justice, the eternal King. And make no mistake, his kingdom has begun in the hearts of men and women who bow the knee to him. 
Anytime someone bows the knee to Jesus, the kingdom of God adds a person. And every time we surrender more territory of our life over to Jesus, the kingdom of God expands in our life. So the kingdom of God has been expanding since the coming, the first coming of Jesus. And then the final day, that final horizon, is when Jesus returns a second time. And at that point, it'll be done on earth as it is in heaven, which is why we pray, come quickly, Lord Jesus. We want the evil to be uh, and rebellion to be removed from existence, and we want it to be on earth like heaven. So here are four things that people who are saved say. Another way to say this is you know you're saved if. You know you're saved if, number one, you give thanks to God for your salvation. I So here's what Isaiah is saying. In that day, you're going to say this. When you experience God's salvation, you will say this. By the way, the you here is singular. So he's envisioning individual people who experience God's salvation saying this. I will give thanks to you, O God, for you were angry with me. For though you were angry with me, your anger turned away that you might comfort me. You know you're saved if, number one, you thank God for your salvation. All saved people thank God for their salvation. Why? Because they appreciate it. They recognize how precious it is. They recognize it as undeserved favor, God's grace poured out in their lives. I'll give thanks to you, Lord. Why? For you were angry with me, but your anger turned away. God was angry with me. He was angry with you. Why? Because I'm a sinner. And my sin angers the Lord. The Bible says that the wrath of God rests upon the unrighteous until it is turned away by Jesus. And so this is the, the saved person recognizes God, you were angry with me, and rightfully so, because I'm a sinner. But though you were angry with me, your anger turned away. That's amazing. You were angry with me, now you're not. Why? Well, not because I reformed myself, not because I got my act together and no longer became a sinful person. No. God's anger was turned away, not because I became a, a good person, but because Jesus Christ came to rescue me. You know, there was nothing we can do to get right with God. The Bible says that all our good works are like filthy rags. So we could not save ourselves. So God left heaven in the person of Jesus Christ and he came on a rescue mission. And his anger was turned away because Jesus took our the penalty of our sin upon himself. We we're told more about this in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 verses 18 to 21. We read all this is from God. Uh all this is not from a partnership between God and man, and certainly not from me. 
It's all from God. Who through Christ reconciled us to himself. You did not reconcile yourself to God. God reconciled you to himself through Christ's death. I am a sinner. God's wrath rested upon me justly because of my sin. But Jesus came and he took my sin upon the cross. And he bled and died to pay the penalty for my sin so that God's wrath could be turned away from me. And God could relate to me as one whose sins had been atoned for. Verse 21, for our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin. God made Jesus to be sin in our place who knew no sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. And so how can we not praise God? How can we not thank God for his salvation? If you've been saved, you will be appreciative and you will thank the Lord because you'll recognize I'm a sinner, deserving of God's judgment. I was helpless. I could not save myself, but God came down and rescued me. Not because I was worthy. The Bible tells us while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. While we're shaking our fist in the face of God, while we're running as hard and fast as, as we can away from God, God comes down and dies in our place. Why does he does it? He does it because he loves us. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life, John three sixteen. Or here, that you might comfort me. So a person who has been saved, who understands how desperate the situation is and how great God's love and what a wonder, incredible sacrifice Jesus made on our behalf, how can we do anything else but to say, I will thank you, O Lord? Is that true of you? You know, the circumstances in vary tremendously from Christian to Christian. Some Christians, they're healthy, they're wealthy, their relationships are great, and the sun is shining on them circumstantially. And other Christians, like Brian Whitson, you know, he's stuck in the same room now for 30 days fighting the coronavirus. He's been on oxygen for well over 10 days. And, and other Christians, some are imprisoned, some who are, have lost their jobs. Circumstances vary tremendously from Christian to Christian. And yet, and yet every true Christian says, I will thank you. Oh, Lord, for my salvation. We all, no matter what our circumstance, we all have something monumental for which to be thankful that God poured out his love for us in Jesus. He, he rescued us from the power and the penalty and the presence of sin. Thank you, God. So you know you're saved when, number one, you thank God for your salvation. Number two, when you trust God and are not afraid. Verse two, behold, God is my salvation. I will trust. I will not be afraid. 
For the Lord God is my strength and my song, and he has become my salvation. So most of you know that uh, two weeks ago I woke up with a, an infection in my elbow. It was hot, swollen, painful, red, and it turned out to be uh, not just a staph infection, but a MRSA infection. And so the antibiotics weren't knocking it out. So I went and saw an ortho specialist, praise God for uh, the wisdom he's give, given the medical world. And the surgeon said, Mike, um, if I don't open your elbow up and surgically remove uh, the infection, you're not going to overcome this. And then he went off to do some paperwork, and I, sitting in the office, uh, and I began to quote this verse. Behold, the Lord is my salvation. I will trust, and I will not be afraid. And I quoted this verse because it's our monthly memory verse, and we've been saying it as a family around the table, and it was so timely. And let me tell you, it brought me comfort. Behold, God is my salvation. I will trust, and I will not be afraid. Behold, God is my salvation. I have a Savior, and he is with me, and he's going to take care of me. And so God... I can trust you. I don't have to be afraid. Now, I knew that that didn't mean that God would necessarily repair my arm and I'd be fine. It didn't, I might even die. It didn't mean that he was going to rescue me necessarily the way that I wanted to, but he would save me, period, even if it meant I woke up in the arms of Jesus. I have a Savior. I don't know how people go through life without believing I have a Savior who is with me and he'll save me in all things, period. I don't have to worry. Now, I want, I want you to ask yourself this question. Do you, do you think to yourself, I have been saved or I have a Savior? I have been saved... There was a time in my life when my sins were forgiven and I got my ticket to heaven and someday I'll turn my ticket in, to heaven in. But then I go through life, largely on my own wits and my you know, own merits. And... Or do you say, I have a Savior who is with me, who will take care of me, period. And so I can trust and I don't need to be afraid. <clears throat> I think about it as a lifeguard view of God or as a, um, as a bodyguard. So imagine you're swimming in Goose Lake and you get yourself in trouble and, and the lifeguard comes in and rescues you. you. You were saved. And then you move out of Alaska and, and that lifeguard's still up here and you go swimming in lakes some other state. Well, you were saved but you're not necessarily safe because who knows whether there will be a lifeguard the next time you're swimming or, or the lifeguard will be good. Okay? That's, I think that's the way some people think of, of themselves. I, I've been saved, but God wants you to think of, I have a Savior. 
like a bodyguard who's with me 24-7 who's going to protect me, period. And, and, and so I don't need to be af- afraid. I can feel safe no matter where I am and what I'm doing. See, there's a big difference be- between saying I was saved and I have a Savior who is with me, taking care of me all the time, period. In Romans chapter 8, verses 31 and 32, we read this. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? Now that is a verse you should memorize. If God is for us, who can be against us? God, the all-powerful one who has no real rival, right? He has no rival. And so if God is for us, who can be against us? Nobody can, can stand up to God. And if God is determined to bless us and God is determined to care for us and God is determined to direct our life a particular way, nobody can stop him. So the only question is, is God for us? If you doubt that, remember this. He who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Do you ever doubt that God is for you? Look at Jesus. Look at the cross. God is absolutely for you. Proof is hanging on the cross. He's so for you that he was willing to send his only son to die that you might live. God is for you. God is with you. He he has not just saved you. He is your savior. He's with you. You can trust. You don't need to be afraid. So where in your life do you need to apply this truth? Where do you need to say, you know what? Okay, I've lost my job. Okay, my retirement savings just got hammered. Okay, I don't know what the Alaskan economy is going to be like a year from now. I, I don't know whether I'm going to get the coronavirus. I don't know if I'm going to recover from this cancer. I don't know if my, what's going to happen in my marriage and whether my spouse's affections will return to me. But I have a Savior. He's going to take care of me. I don't need to be afraid. I will trust We can know that we are saved when, number one, we thank God for our salvation. Number two, we trust and aren't afraid. And number three, we draw water from the wells of salvation. Look at verse three. With with joy, you will draw water from the wells of salvation. I just love that imagery. Now, there's only one fount, and that's Christ but there are many wells. Why many wells? Because we have many different kinds of needs. But the Christian, the truly saved person, keeps going back to the gospel to draw out life. And man, our inheritance in Christ is just so rich. And so let's just name some of the wells. We have the well of peace that passes all understanding which can guard our heart and mind in Christ Jesus. We have the well of wisdom, God's wisdom. Any man lacks wisdom, let him ask God who gives generously and without finding 
fault. We have the, the well of comfort. The Holy Spirit will comfort. We have the well of encouragement, the great and glorious encouraging promises of the Lord. We have the well of assurance of salvation. I write these things to you, my brother, so that you may know that you have eternal life. We have the well of community. I have, he who live, leaves father and mother uh, will gain hundreds of fathers and mothers in the church. We have the well of um, we have the well of God's boundaries and his instructions, his teachings on life. On and on it goes. You have a need. Salvation has a well you can draw from and quench your thirst and have your need met. But we have to draw. A well can be there, but you've got to draw and you've got to drink. So you dwell, you draw from the well of peace by casting your anxieties upon the Lord. And trusting that he cares for you. You draw from the well of wisdom by asking God to give you wisdom. You draw from the well of patience by waiting upon the Lord for rescue. You draw from the well of joy by meditating on how blessed you are in Jesus. You draw from the well of assurance by re rehearsing God's promises. You draw from the well of forgiveness by believing that God will forgive as he says he will. You draw from the well of help by calling upon the Lord and on and on. But the Christian, the person who's truly been saved doesn't just pray a prayer at some point in their life and then go on living as if things are the same. It's, it changes the way we live. We keep going back to the gospel again and again and again. And that's how we live our lives. So you know you're a Christian when, number one, you thank the Lord for your salvation. Number two, you trust the Lord and aren't afraid. Number three, you keep, repeat, keep joyfully drawing uh, water from the wells of salvation. And finally, when you call others to be saved and to worship the Lord. Look at verse 4. And you will say in that day, by the way, here he shifts from singular you to plural. So mission is a corporate thing. It's something that we do together as the people of God. And you, people of God, will say in that day, give thanks to the Lord, call upon his name, make known his deeds among the peoples, proclaim that his name is exalted. So this is God's people calling other people to be saved and to worship God. So what are we saying? We're saying, give thanks to the Lord. Call upon his name. Appreciate the salvation he offers you in Jesus Christ. And then you yourself get saved. Call upon the Lord to rescue you. So that's evangelism, right? Calling people to themselves be saved. And then we are saying, we are saying to people, Make known his deeds among the peoples. Proclaim that his name is exalted. It's not enough to just get saved. We say, go beyond getting saved to become a teacher. Uh, start to proclaim to people what God has done for them in, and, uh, and proclaim to people that they should exalt his name and worship him. So they turn around and become evangelists and, um, and worship leaders. 
So, you know you're saved when, number one, you thank God for your salvation. Number two, you trust God and you're not afraid. Number three, you joyfully draw uh, from water from the wells of salvation. Number four, when you call other people to get saved and to worship the Lord. And so you're listening to this and you say, yeah, that's, that's true of me. That describes me. Then have great confidence that you have been saved. And that should be encouraging you to, to you. But maybe you're hearing this and you're like, that's not my experience. Well, it can be. It can be because the gospel is for you as it is for all people. God's not willing that anyone should be perish, but that all should come to repentance. And God says, if, if you will receive Jesus Christ as your personal Savior and Lord, then I'll give you the right to become my child. I'll take away your sins as far as the east is from the west. I'll remember them no more. I will give you my Holy Spirit to indwell you, and when you die... I'm going to take you to be with me forever. And so you can get saved. And when you get saved, this will be, what we just read and talked about will be true of you. And then finally, Christian, it might be that you say, you know what, that was true of me, but it's, it's barely true of me now. And you know what, if that's the case, there needs to be some soul excavation because it means that you've allowed the cares of the world to bury uh, your, the life of God in you. And so you need some soul excavation to uh, resurrect your first love and to put God again as your priority. And it might be, I pray that God has used this message to reawaken in you a thirst for the Lord and appreciation for what he has done for you and offers you in Jesus Christ. And, and that you are saying, I, I do thank God for my salvation. I, I see it afresh. Thankfulness is welling up with me. You know what? I, I don't need to be afraid. I can trust God. I do have a savior. You know what? Why am I not drawing water from the wells of salvation? I have such an inheritance in Jesus Christ and I'm just, I'm going thirsty unnecessarily. Or you know what? Ah, there are people who, I know people who need saved and, and I'm being negligent to get the gospel out to them and to, to, to call them to worship God and enjoy his salvation. You know, if that's the spirit convicting you, you just respond and you say, okay, I'm responding to the truth. God will honor that and he'll forgive you and he'll help you move forward. So you know how you need to respond right now. Let's take time and pray. So right now, just capture in, in your mind where you are. How is the Spirit of God prompting you to respond? It might be that you need to thank him for your salvation. It might, need that, it might mean that you need to just trust and not be afraid in a particular area of your life. It might mean that, mean that you need to purposely go and draw water from the well of salvation to meet your need, quench your thirst. And it might mean that you need to commit yourself to going out and 
telling that person the Lord's put on your heart about the good news that God loves them in Jesus and invite them into a relationship with Jesus and encourage them to become a worshiper of the true and living God. Just do that now. God, we thank you for your word. It is sharper than any two-edged sword, and it just pierces us, Lord. And you do that in order to, um, in order to bless us and keep, keep us healthy. We love you. In your name we pray. Amen.